Hi everyone, welcome to the Mobile Bev Pros Podcast, the best place on the internet to get valuable advice and information related to owning and running a successful mobile bar business. I'm your host, Sarah Murphy, and some of you may know me as the founder and community organizer of the Mobile Bev Pros Facebook group or our corresponding membership site, mobilebevpros.com. I'm also the owner and operator of my own mobile bar company, Bar Magnolia, out of Nashville, Tennessee. Since starting the membership group two years ago, we have seen a dramatic increase in the number of mobile bar owners seeking community and support, and we've been feverishly trying to keep up with the growing demand for information and resources to support those mobile bar owners. This podcast is the newest manner in which we hope to get our community the valuable information they seek. But before we get started, I want to make a shameless plug for our newly launched online membership site and resource hub, mobilebevpros.com. The site was created to be a next-level companion site to our Facebook group. It's where we share dozens of templates, worksheets, guides, and videos, all directly related to the most common questions mobile bar owners have. Its purpose is to help mobile bar owners skip the learn-as-they-go, trial-and-error manner of running a small business and get right to the information that has proven to work for the seven mentors running hugely successful mobile bar companies around the world. It also offers direct access to those mentors within the membership site, monthly live Q&A sessions, and even a business book club that has dramatically changed the way some of our members, including myself, are doing business and the profits that we're making doing it. And that's just the beginning of what's to come. If you haven't checked out the membership site yet, I highly recommend it. But even if you're not ready to invest in that next level support, If you're thinking about starting a mobile bar or have already launched a mobile bar but would love to connect with other like-minded boozlingers, we would love to have you join us in our Facebook group. I'll include a link to our two membership groups in the show notes. Now let's do this. Today we're speaking with Matt Maroon, owner and operator of Happy Camper Bar Car out of Akron, Ohio. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Good. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Wasn't that long ago that you and I were having hot chicken at Prince's here in Nashville? I know, right before it burned down. Right we were before so lucky. it burned down. I know. Yeah. I've heard they're going to rebuild it, but we don't know where. I'm sure, yeah. Well, when it reopens, I'll have to have you back down. I will be there. For the listeners that don't know, Matt is a thought leader in our industry, especially around the process of kegging. Yesterday, I asked our Facebook group what questions they would love to have answered regarding kegging, and we were not disappointed People were not shy about jumping in with all of their questions. It's clear there's a large void of information out there regarding the process of kegging, especially in event situations. So I'm excited that we get to talk about it today. Yeah, me too. I've been working on a lot of stuff for people for kegging cocktails, so I'm glad to glad to help spread it a little bit. Yes. Well, and, and I think if for no other reason, because we see it done poorly so often. <laughs> yeah, almost exclusively. Yeah. Well, I think it really goes back to the lack of information. I think anyone yeah, that's getting, true. if anyone's getting into kegging cocktails, the first thing they do is they go to the internet, they Google search it, they YouTube it. There isn't anything. No, I had to just figure this all out. I mean, there was literally nothing. I went to this one seminar early on at Tales of the Cocktail about kegging cocktails. And I went back the other day and I looked at the little PowerPoint they gave us and I was like, Oh, this was horrible, but that was the state of the art <laughs> four years ago, you know? It's all they had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and even now, more restaurants are getting into kegging, I think, which is helpful, except for the fact that events are just so different in a lot of ways. Right, yeah. 
So this will be really good. Um, we've got a ton of questions. I'm not sure we'll get to all of them directly, um, but I did try and group them into kind of themes so that we can at least get high level. Okay. So first question, and I thought this was actually a really good one. And I think Wendy asked this question and it's why keg at all? Why can't you just batch cocktails in gallon containers and run with it? Um, well, you can, if you're doing a large volume, that's going to kind of suck having 40 gallon containers or something. Um, you can, but there's still several advantages to kegs. Uh, number one, it's just a really good container. When you put the stuff in there and you seal it, you get rid of oxygen. So your product's going to last a lot longer and your flavor is going to stay better. Like when you go buy an off the shelf bottled product, you probably don't realize it, but they use something to purge the headspace with nitrogen. So oxygen isn't changing the flavor of for a fact that you can drop a keg from over the side of a pickup truck full of product and it will still be fine. Uh, so, so it's just, it's a durable container. You can purge headspace. Um, kegs have a number of other advantages. You can probably talk for hours about carbonating cocktails. You know, they're easy to clean. They're sanitary and food safe, like buckets, they get a little scrape in them and now they're not as easy to clean. Yeah. So, I mean, just a lot of advantages. It's a lot of a lot of products out there made for kegs also because you know home brewers use the corny kegs that I use so you can get keg washers or build a keg washer that's really nice and get all sorts of taps and accessories for it so flexibility quality yeah I think you touched on a lot of my favorite reasons to keg um, and the the last mention being kind of the way it looks um, I I personally dislike the large beverage dispensers on the bar with a punch. Oh, they're in it. horrible. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's another thing I should have mentioned. You can keep it refrigerated without diluting it. Right. Like if you have one of those big beverage dispensers, you throw a bunch of ice in it to keep the product cold, but then the ice starts melting and within a half hour, the drink's ruined. Um, so you have, you have to constantly be at Exactly. And you also get to build out the system to look however you want your brand to look. We're seeing more and more, I think, tap walls or the tabletop taps, um, all of mm -hmm. which have kind of great uh, uses in, you know, different functions. Yeah. We've had a number of questions about what can be kegged and um, any, you know, specific qualifiers that make a certain beverage good for kegging or not good for Yeah. Almost any cocktail can be kegged. Um Things that are a little tricky, I have found that egg whites, you got to put the egg whites in the same day. It'll be okay. You just can't store it. Um, but you have other options like powdered egg whites and that kind of stuff or aquafaba. Um, anything that has anything solid in it, you can't keg. I don't know what that really would necessarily be anyway, but you have to make sure to strain the crap out of all your kegs so you don't jam the faucets had that happen in the middle of a wedding it's not good um so a lot of times you you can you can really keg almost anything yeah i've had the same experience but i have never tried anything with egg whites i did start kind of experimenting with aquafaba um and i found that some people in taste testing couldn't get past the smell of aquafaba. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So back to I've the drawing been, board for me. Yeah, I've been playing around. I have a, I have something I'm working on. When I get it well enough, maybe I'll try to add that to the list of for sale products too to get you the egg white foam without the flavor of aguafaba because it does have a very distinct flavor. I mean, it's mild, but it's there. Yeah, and like, I think oh, the flavor they were fine with. It was the smell. Um, gotcha, gotcha. When they lifted it to their their, uh -huh. their mouth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
How do you determine which gas to use for which kegged item? Oh, it's pretty simple. Um, if you're doing a carbonated drink, you do CO2 and otherwise you do nitrogen. Sometimes my shaken drinks, I'll do beer gas. Um, stirred drinks are always nitrogen. Carbonated drinks, always CO2. Shaken drink can be nitrogen or beer gas, basically. What is the difference between CO2 and beer gas? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, beer gas is a blend of nitrogen and CO2, and it's usually something like 75% nitrogen to 80% nitrogen and the rest CO2. And the reason you use it, it's what you would typically see like a Guinness or a stout on draft. When something says it's on nitro, it usually actually means it's beer gas if it's a beer. And the reason you do it is that nitrogen is not very soluble in water the way CO2 is. So it will come out of, it will come out of suspension as pretty much as soon as it leaves the keg. So that's why you get that kind of uh, cascading effect in a glass of Guinness. That's nitrogen bubbles coming out of solution, basically. And it gives it kind of a creamy mouthfeel. Um, nitrogen is totally, or at least mostly in air, the air you breathe is like 85% nitrogen. So it doesn't have any flavor or smell. And it's, I use beer gas and shaken cocktails to kind of create a shaken effect. Shaken cocktails have enough solids in it that it's not really going to be like a Guinness where you're going to get that cascading effect. The CO2 is pretty much all going to leave immediately because it's on an unclarified beverage. So yeah, I mean, beer gas is really just a blend of nitrogen and CO2. And a lot of the places that you order from, they'll actually give you, you can maybe specify, and I will usually specify, I want like even as high as 85, 90% nitrogen, I just want a little CO2 to get knocked out of solution. Awesome. And where do you get your gas? Where can the common everyday person go to fill their tanks? Yeah, you can go to like Praxair or Airgas. They're usually kind of pricey. Um, I would check your local homebrew store or in my area, I get it. There's a company that's like a dry ice company and, you know, they buy CO2 by the truckload. So they do a lot of draft systems. So go to like your local gas station and ask them where they get the CO2 for the soda and those kind of places. Cause those, those are usually the guys you'll get it from the cheapest Praxair and Airgas have it, but they're going to be pretty pricey unless you're buying in large bulk. Yeah. And I think the, the key there is to kind of ask around because state mm -hmm. by state, different gas regulations here in Nashville. We're super lucky that we have a welding company that is minutes from downtown. And so I've literally cool. had to leave events uh, before to grab something keg related and they're, they're kind of open early and they close, you know, late. So it, it's uh, nice, but it's also super convenient because they have argon, yeah. they have CO2, they've got all the things. Gotcha. Yeah. Make sure it's food grade though. Cause there's yeah, non food grade stuff that's too. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. If you uh, were to pick a ideal tap system for the beginner, what are your favorite bits? Okay. Um, lately, I've been kind of getting into the inner tap faucets. I really like those. Uh, I was using the Perlick 650 SS's. Um, always get a flow control faucet. Do not mess around with exchanging line lengths. That's for like amateurs who buy a kegerator and can't afford to replace the crappy chrome stuff it comes with. Um, get everything stainless steel, get a stainless steel shank. I personally, like my dream system, what I use is I use um, the John Guest push fit fittings and the, is it AccuFlex BevSeal or AccuSeal BevFlex? I think it's AccuFlex BevSeal lines. There are, and I use all sorts of push fit fittings. So there's one that fits on the back of a beer shank and there's another one that's a quarter inch MFL that'll fit onto any of your disconnects, basically. Um, it turns out that it's the same thread on the back of a beer shank that it is on top of a Sankey cap. 
Sankey tap also. So I, I just, I buy those in bulk from uh, freshwater systems. And so I can pop a line out of a Sankey tap and into a ball lock tap or pop it off one thing onto another. But you don't have to do all that if you don't want to. Just for me, I never know if I'm going to be doing draft beer that day or draft cocktails or what. So I like the flexibility of being able to do it. It's also really nice when you're cleaning to be able to clean a, a line that was on a Sankey, like a, a beer, you were pouring beer through the line off a Sankey tap. But I just have a ball lock keg full of soap. So I just pop it off, pop it on the ball lock, stick it on there. Um, my gas systems, I have manifolds and all my manifolds have inline quick disconnects. So I can easily pop like a nitrogen tank off and pop a CO2 tank on. Just for me, you know, I'm always switching around. I would say my average wedding is doing two draft beers and four cocktails, but you just never know what you're going to get into. I've had weddings that did just six draft beers. So for me, it's all about flexibility. Um, but yeah, like I said, use stainless steel everything. Use a flow control faucet, either Perlick or Intertap. Or now there's a new one that I kind of want to try from CM Becker. I'm trying to think what else, anything else I'm missing there? I love. Oh, I love my torpedo kegs. Yes. Yeah, they're kind of pricey, but they're stackable, which is really nice when you have a hundred of them like I do that you have to put somewhere. They're nice when you have a walk-in fridge because you don't have to take up the whole floor space when you can stack them three or four high. They And they can stack while tapped, so you can carbonate them while they're stacked, which is really nice. And they're pretty indestructible. Um, some of the soda cans will like, lose the rubber pieces. and Oh, and those rubber pieces will always mark up your floor or the bottom of your refrigerator and stuff. I have, I, I have still have rubber chime marks on my living room floor. <laughs> <laughs> and they get gross and sometimes they'll separate. Yeah, I don't, I don't like those. The only, the only problems I've had with torpedo kegs is sometimes when you stack them full, they'll, they'll like bend a little bit at the top. Mm-hmm. But you can usually just bend it back with some pliers or something. Very durable. That unfortunately they ship with really bad gaskets, so you have to buy new gaskets for the ball lock posts and just replace them right off the bat. But it costs a couple cents. So you um, alluded to stainless steel everything, and I just want to touch base on that because I think people don't know why. I think if uh, you were yeah. only to push beer. You, you'd be fine with getting anything, but if you want to keg anything else, right? Stainless steel is the way to go. I still wouldn't use the chrome even for the beer because the chrome just breaks down. I mean, I have I had a kegerator at home that was just beer for a long time back when I was back in my home brewing days and the chrome started flaking off. I just, it's like 10 more dollars to get the stainless steel one and it's just so much better. Yeah. But yes, especially when you're doing, you know, cocktails tend to be a lot more acidic than beer. And I think that would probably eat right through the chrome. I just, I wouldn't even try it. I agree. I think stainless steel is um, relatively inexpensive comparatively. And if you're going to do this, right. It's just when you buy a kegerator or something, they cheap out and send you some crappy chrome faucet. So throw that thing away or sell it online. I don't know. Um, Oh, another important thing for cocktail and wine use because they're acidic is use a coated line. Like don't use that clear Beplex that comes with every system you buy. Uh, get some sort of line that's coated on the inside. Right, because the acidity will just start to break it down. And it'll it start will, yeah. Retain flavors and stuff. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to get your O-rings and such? Uh, I buy them at McMaster Car usually, just because they're cheap and fast. Um, you can really get them anywhere online. I like the silicone O-rings. Uh, most of the ones you get are made of Buna N, which is like a type of rubber or something, and they're black. I've switched to mostly silicone O-rings because they last forever. The only downside to them is they're a little bit harder. So if you have an older keg that's not sealing properly or something, you want a softer rubber like 
the Buna ends and they come in different hardnesses, but um, for the most part, don't, if you buy those things at a homebrew store or something, they've marked them up like 200 times. It's crazy. You'll get them for pennies online and you go to the homebrew store and they're like $2. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I get, I get mine from McMaster car cause they have everything. I think somewhere on my website, I have a list of all of the different gaskets you need, but if not, let just remind me and I'll make one for the mobile bev pros people. Cause Thankfully, most gaskets have just a number. So, you know, like with the gasket, there's the thickness and the interior diameter and the exterior diameter and the hardness, which is the durometer and then the material. But you can just say, I need a 614 gasket and get that anywhere, you know, so. Yeah, I'm listening to you speak right now is I think why so many people do it poorly. <laughs> yes, yes. There's yeah. a lot of technical bits to understand about your keg system there are and you know what i was doing homebrewing for a long time and i kind of got into the got into it that way so i guess i've been doing it for 10 years and i don't i i sometimes forget how daunting it must be to somebody who's brand new at it yeah and and i get calls um relatively frequently with people who have kind of taken the the plunge and they've set up a keg system or they have purchased a keg system and they have followed all the instructions and they get there and they hook everything up and nothing's coming out or it's coming out too foamy, right? Troubleshooting, I think, is the first yeah. thing everyone who's kegging gets real familiar with. Sure is. Sure is. I, I mean, I've been doing it for years and I still get foamy stuff coming out and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> still right? have to debug it. Yeah. Or sometimes I hook it up and nothing comes out and I'm like, okay, what happened? It's a, right. It's Backtrack. Weird didn't flip a valve somewhere or something. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about troubleshooting the keg system. Like if you do yeah. have a foamy beer, for example. I do. Like so I uh, reading, you know, I read all the comments people post in the mobile Bev Pro stuff. And I would guess that 90% of the time it's because they just drove the beer there and they shook it up and literally nothing they can do will fix it other than wait a day. Um, so I always try when I have an event with with beer where I know there's going to be a lot of beer poured. I try to get the beer on site the day before and let it calm down because especially a lot of our trailers don't have the best axles. Um, if I have to take it along for a long trip that day, I will pull it out of the trailer and put it in the back seat of my truck just because it'll get shaken less. But, you know, a keg is like a big two liter bottle and it, it goes down the road and gets shaken up. And I, I even saw somebody in the forum once who everyone was telling them to do all these things to fix it. But she said that it was she could see it was foamy inside the lines. And I'm like, well, that means it's foamy coming out of the keg. There's nothing you can do but wait. Um, another thing is don't let your kegs get warm because it takes quite a while for CO2 to go back into solution. It comes like any chemical reaction. It happens a lot faster when it's warm than when it's cold. So a warm keg will lose CO2 a lot faster than a cold keg will reabsorb it. I'll spare you all the thermodynamics, but yeah, if you leave a, leave a keg out, what's going to happen is CO2 comes out of solution and into the headspace and the pressure in the headspace increases. So don't let your kegs get warm at any point. Also, beer kegs are mostly not pasteurized unless you're getting like a keg of Heineken from overseas or something. It's probably unpasteurized, which means it can re-ferment. And when it does, it will make particulate matter that will make the keg just be foamy. But yeah, that's that's most of the problems that these people are probably having. There's always pressure. You know, you have to have you have to have the that's why I always recommend the flow control valves is ideally you want to match the CO2 to the type of beer. So if you have a highly carbonated type of beer, you want the right pressure of CO2. And actually, I think you published that chart on uh, Mobile Bev Pros, the mm -hmm. pressure, pressure temperature versus uh, volume or versus CO2 volumes chart. 
So like, for instance, a, um, a wheat beer is typically highly carbonated, whereas a stout is very low carbonated. Um, that's an ideal world. And thankfully, because things carbonate slowly, I will usually just set the pressure kind of in the middle. If I have, for instance, a stout and a wheat beer, I'll set the pressure kind of low and just pour it that way. And the, the wheat beer, as long as it stays cold in the four hours I'm serving, is not going to get depreciably worse. But yeah, so get a flow control valve and then don't mess with line lengths and all that stuff. Just forget about that. Get a flow control valve and set it to where, just set the temp, the pressure to where it pours a beer. What is it supposed to pour? 12 ounce glass in like four seconds or something like that. Set it to that and use your flow compensator to make sure to get it there. But most foaming problems are either temperature, pressure, or just like I said, the shape, the keg was shaken. And if you're in a regular bar that's not going down the road, it's obviously not the keg being shaken, but um, <laughs> yeah, a keep your, uh, another thing you do, take a thermopen, stick it under the, under the stream coming out. You might have to let it run for a second or two to chill the faucet also, but you should see it drop to no higher than around 38 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, if it gets above that, that means you have a temperature problem because when the CO2 gets, like I said, when the beer gets warm, the CO2 starts coming out of suspension and then you get foam. So yeah, make sure that that's happening. If, if your stuff is coming out warm, then you have to figure out some solution to keep it colder. Yeah. one of the uh, rookie mistakes I made when I first created my little table tap, tabletop tap, uh, was not insulating the lines. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you're high volume enough, I don't think it's a huge deal, but if you're, you know, waiting a minute or two between pints, uh, definitely you'll be pouring uh, out uh, foam from the first, you know, three feet of line. You will. And even, even on a hot day, even if you're pouring pretty consistently, it'll never get down cold enough, but you just wrap those, that cheap foam stuff that looks like a pool noodle that you get at Home Depot around there and it'll keep it cold all day. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about uh, kegging is that while you need to be committed to getting the right equipment, sometimes mm -hmm. that right equipment is just everyday stuff. It doesn't necessarily need to cost a ton. It is. You can buy almost everything you need from Home Depot. And for me, like my tap system, so, you know, my camper, I have a refrigerator in and that's really nice. But the rest of my systems are unpowered and I kind of just build my own. They're almost like a jockey box. Like I build my own taps, which, you know, I understand if people don't want to build their own tap towers and stick them on top of like vintage ammo crates. And then I just plumb it directly into the keg and I make sure to insulate the crap out of everything. And it's fine. I mean, I don't, I see people at a street festival with a jockey box, but if you just keep your keg cold, the line from the keg to the faucet is really not any longer than the line from the jockey box to the faucet. So what do you need the jockey box for, right? You're basically just like, chilling something that's already chilled. I don't, I don't know what the point of that is. But. <laughs> well, I think it's because keeping kegs cold is yeah. hard to process. That's true. It. Yeah, that's true. So that's the mistake you see at a lot of festivals is somebody will have a jockey box and a warm keg and they can't figure out why they're pouring cold foam, you know? And another mistake people make a lot of times, I see it all the time, is they try to slow the flow down by only opening the tap halfway. Never do that. When you open the tap halfway, you actually cause it to foam. You have to use your flow control to change the speed, but always just open the tap all the way. Open that baby right up. Yep. <laughs> what a rip. Any special tips for kegging with citrus? We had um, a couple people yeah. ask what 
citrus and we've definitely had, I've had people call and have issues with citrus that were related to any number of things. One of which being not straining the seeds out. That's a big no, no, but citrus can be a volatile thing. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So strain, 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 everything I put into a keg goes through a chinois. Um, if it has small enough particles that I'm worried about it, I'll even line the chinois with, uh, uh, cheesecloth. Um, but yeah, strain, 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 strain. And then uh, citrus, kegging is actually great for citrus because, so I've, I've done a lot of research into this. I've read like scientific papers. I've done, I, I've got modernist cuisine. Uh, I've, I've like gone through everything to figure out what happens to citrus. And the reason citrus, when you juice it, starts to taste bad, it's two things. Number one, it reacts with oxygen and oxidizes. And number two, the very low pH of citrus breaks down the oils because a lot of the flavor of citrus juice is actually oil that gets expressed from the peel when you squeeze it. Um, and the low pH will break down that oil into undesirable compounds. So you lose the good flavor of the oil and gain the bad flavor of terpenes that it breaks it down into. So kegging cocktails actually gets around both of those problems because number one, you use nitrogen, purge all the oxygen out of the headspace. And number two, you're raising the pH um, because citrus citrus juice is just below the pH level where it breaks down the oils. So I, honestly, if you just take a 50-50 of citrus juice and water, it no longer happens. That reaction no longer happens. You don't have to get the pH up very much to make that reaction stop. So I'll do like if you're doing, let's say, a whiskey sour, whiskey, lemon juice, sugar, I'll mix it all up, throw it in the keg, purge it with nitrogen. Um, what you want to do is fill the keg with nitrogen before you pour the drink in, pour the drink in cap it, fill the keg with nitrogen, shake it up, and then vent as fast as possible and do that a couple times just to try to get all the dissolved oxygen out of the drink. And yeah, once you do that, it'll last. I mean, it's, you'll be surprised. I've had, I don't recommend keeping them as long, but I've had drinks where I went back and tasted it a couple months later because it just sat in the fridge for whatever reason. Still tasted good. I mean, I don't, it's probably safe. It's, you know, it's highly out. You I, didn't I would, die. I'm not recommending serving it to your customers, <laughs> but it's, it's got alcohol and acid in it, which are two of nature's best preservatives. So Fair. And oxygen is removed. So yeah, I mean, you will be very surprised how long a keg of margarita still tastes great. Very surprised. Well, I'm, I'm uh, going to test this theory because I, I think no drop of margarita should ever be wasted. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot of, uh, you know, we do a wedding and we have a keg of margaritas and there's like a quarter of it left and I'm yeah, it's going home into the kegerator. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yay. Yeah. What's your favorite method of cleaning your keg system? I built my own keg washer. Um, there's this one called the Mark II keg washer. That's like a not too bad off the shelf one. It's kind of a little pricey for what it is and the pump's not very powerful, but it, it kind of taught me how to do it. So I have, I was actually thinking that that would probably be one of the next things I either write for you guys or post on my blog is how to build my keg washer. But it's basically just the sump pump, uh, a heater and a temperature controller, and then a pipe that has a rotating spray ball on top. And it might sound complicated, but it's actually very simple. Oh, and I bought, I built a little timer for it so that I didn't accidentally leave the heater on and boil all the water again. But uh, I, um, so I, I pop my keg off, pop another one on, push a button and walk away. And it sits there for a half hour spraying beer line cleaner through the inside. I also have a ball lock disconnect that tees off of the pipe. So it sprays uh, cleaning stuff up through the out line on it. So, yeah, I mean, there is unfortunately that I know of not, not really a ball lock keg washer that I recommend. 
I think somebody showed me one from like SS Brewtech or something that looks pretty good. Yeah, that but, was me. Oh, was it? Yeah, it looks mm-hmm. cool. I haven't used it. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. a fan. Oh, are you? Yeah, it doesn't heat it, but I use hot water when I put it in the bucket. Yes. And then you just hook up all the fittings and you turn it on and it is amazing. It is life-changing considering how I was having to like get my yeah. arm in there <laughs> last season. Does it even have a little spray ball on it or whatever? It does. It has a little yeah. spray ball. And so you, when when I touch the top, because you've put it upside down into a five-gallon bucket. And exactly. so when I touch the top of it, it's hot because right, um, right. it's spraying that hot water all up inside. And yes. I think the most valuable part is getting the dip tube flushed out, right? Correct. Um, yeah. Which is hard yeah. to do by hand. So um, yes, yeah. without so unscrewing me- it and... Yeah, for me, I might wash a dozen kegs at a time. So that's why I got the heater thing to just keep the water hot. Obviously, you always yeah. rinse the keg first, or you're gonna have to change your water right. every time. Every yeah, time. I, I yeah. was going through so much soap that I was like, I need to just find a way to keep this water hot and just be able to wash a lot of kegs at once. So you're a problem solver, Matt. It's one of the things I love about you. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> What's your favorite keg cleaner? The uh, the solution. That's a good question. Um, I just, I like beer line cleaner, that BLC stuff. There's liquid line cleaner, LLC. Yeah, I mean, you can really get just any of it. Um, I use Iodophore as the sanitizer. So I do rinse and then clean and then sanitize. Um, I only use Iodophore because if you put anything else in my pump solution, it'll foam and overflow. Um, yeah, it's it, important not to use a foaming cleaner. Right, right. Your cleaner, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you could even use uh, in a pinch, I'll just go to Restaurant Depot and get that beer clean stuff that you put in a three compartment sink to wash beer glasses. That's basically the same stuff as the stuff you buy at homebrew store. Also, um, if you get the, is it like unscented OxyClean or something like that? Same stuff. Really? Um, Yeah, you can go to Walmart. Is it OxyClean free? I think it's called. That's the same stuff they're selling you at the brew store, but for half the price. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, it's got to be the right OxyClean, but yeah, I think it's OxyClean free. And you use like twice as much of it as it recommends, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we talked we talked about cleaning the actual kegs, and I think that you and I kind of know it's it's that keeping a keg full of cleaner solution is just clutch because at the end of the night, you just hook it up to your taps, purge all right. the crap in your lines. Always. Um, yeah, you don't want to leave that stuff sitting in there. Yeah, yeah. Like they say in bars that you're supposed to clean out your lines every two weeks, but it, I have six taps and it probably takes me five minutes to clean it out after every event. So I do it every event. Yeah, it should just be part of that close closing checklist. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a little bit of a pain if you have Sankey taps that are permanently in there, like you don't have my push fit fitting so you can swap left and right, but they make some products for that too. Like I know there's a little cleaner keg that has a little Sankey tap on top of it and stuff. Yeah, I actually have that one, but I have since oh, do you? kind of, yeah, it works fine. Um, but I have, uh, I've since done a lot of the quick fits on a lot of mine. Just right. You're constantly switching out. So what, what would you recommend in kind of the emergency bag? You're, you've got a bar kit, right? You bring on, on site, like what mm-hmm. do you keep on hand just in case something goes wrong because every event something goes wrong (laughs) yes yes it does i always have backup co2 um, perfect so i have a co2 tank and a backup co2 tank i have backup of all my little push fit fittings and disconnects so there's like because 
I, I don't know how, but it's always a Sankey disconnect that blows up on you or something, you know. Um, what else? I have a, a backup keg lid and ring and a backup mm -hmm. uh, poppet valve for one of those because a lot poppet valves seem to fail a good amount. I don't know why. Um, yeah, that's so that's the downside of doing kind of an equipment heavy solution like I do is when the equipment fails, you are screwed. Like a, a shaker tid never fails, you know, but never. Yeah. But if your Sankey disconnect fails and you're, you got a keg of beer, what else are you going to do? You know, and um, stuff like that, at least you can usually get a replacement. I've had to run to the local homebrew store, you know, 100 miles from my house to get a Sankey tap before, but. Uh, good luck getting a John Guest quick fit that <laughs> fits on a beer tap. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I have a little thing with backups of all that, all the different gaskets that you use. You know, back I I carry a little CO two washer in my wallet when I'm in season, and it looks like a little tiny condom because it makes a little ring in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a smart condom or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's so there's like a little ring indent in my wallet because. Oh, there's nothing worse than not having the CO2 washer when you need one. Um, oh, gosh. You hit on something that I learned very early on, and that is um, the lid itself on a torpedo keg has an O-ring, right? It's a pretty big right. one. And if, for whatever reason, you need to open that baby up during service and that O-ring sticks and falls down into Happened the, to me Saturday. Right? It just it happens sometimes, and you're not going to reach down in there and grab that thing. So you're just no. going to let it ride, and you're going to pull yeah. out that and stick it back on the link yeah uh, that's that's what we did we had to pop one off the soap keg on saturday because it fell in there and i'm like well at least i know the soap keg's clean <laughs> right exactly you got a clean and sanitized one ready to go <laughs> but yeah i uh for for anyone that's looking to get into kegging absolutely do not show up to your event without an emergency kit full of extras of all the things yeah um, it'll save your life yeah um, and, you know, I always have like a hammer and a screwdriver and that kind of stuff. I have had to, one time I accidentally stuck the liquid disconnect on a gas post and could not get it off. So I had to take a hammer and smash it, um, oh. which is part of the reason I use plastic ones now, because I had stained the steel ones. And had I done it with that, I don't, I would have had to, I don't know, cut it off or something. I don't know. But yeah, I've had to, I've had to smash one of those off in the middle of service before. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, the the issue is never the same from one event to the next either. No. It's always something new. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't want to scare people. Most of the time, your product problems are very minor, you know. So, I was, oh, yeah. I always have extra faucets too, just in case. Yeah, I think it's a, that's a great point because um, the important thing when having a keg system is to understand your keg system. So none of the issues that you're going to have are going to be insurmountable if you right. understand the system that you're running. The challenge yeah. is when you get there, something's wrong, and you don't know where to start. Right. And there seems to be a lot of people in the groups who, like, their business is basically a mobile tap system, but they don't understand how a tap system works. And that's a really tough way to go. So I would I would recommend just finding your local draft tech and pay them a hundred bucks to come out and show you how everything works or something, you know? And and maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. I'm one of those people that I literally have to see the problem to understand it. I'm not going to remember what that guy told me six weeks ago about this, that, or the other thing. Like yeah. I just work through it. Yeah. Um, but having all the pieces on hand, showing up early, making sure one of the first things you do is getting your tap system working so that you have that hour buffer. If anything needs to be, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> My very first event that we did at 
that time I did not know you could not store kegs sideways and serve from it. And, uh, <laughs> we drove down the road with all of our kegs tapped and stored sideways and it caused so many problems. And I just, thankfully I was there like two hours early and I just wanted to go behind the barn and cry or something, but just eventually worked through it, blew all the liquid out of my gas lines that had backed up in there and turned all the kegs oh. vertical. And yeah, it was, it was a disaster. Oh, you know, but the things that we have learned are going to help these uh, listeners avoid, <laughs> yeah. avoid these situations. Yeah. I think this is a, a great time to kind of introduce people to the website that you have that saved my life last season. Uh, it's cocktailcalc.com, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you just take any recipe, you plug in the ratios, uh, and then you just tell it how much you want to make and it'll... Yeah auto dilute and do all the work for you. Yeah. And I'm working, I have a programmer who I'm working with to upgrade that site a lot too. So it's going to get to the point when I do, when I make my own cocktails, I take a spreadsheet and I make sure to get like the sugar and acid levels, right. And all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, you, you plug it in there, you scale it up, you make a shopping list and I'm working on that thing to do all that stuff for me. So I can just be like, I need a keg of my saved margarita recipe. And it tells me what to buy. And what's yeah. in there so yeah last year i didn't have the save option but yeah. um, i did have my own spreadsheet that i would just plug and play into there for every event because sometimes i needed a half keg of something sometimes i needed a full keg of something and so that was um always super helpful um mm -hmm. and again, that's cocktailcalc.com and the uh ratios for dilution you got from um what book was it liquid intelligence Oh yeah, great one. Yeah. Um, not yeah. not a super scintillating read, but <laughs> see, it was to me, but I can understand why to normal <laughs> people. Science that one is right. a, a really great um, a great book, and you used their formula and you plugged it into the website so that you didn't have to do that math by hand every time. Yeah, yeah, he came up with a really neat formula that basically approximates how much dilution you will get from shaking a cocktail based on the total volume and the relative amount of alcohol. Yeah. And, and I should say um, to the listeners that it's okay to kind of use the, whatever the formula spits out and taste test it and kind of uh, adjust as necessary. So I personally have found that I must not shake things as long as uh, the person who wrote that book. And so okay. the dilution is always a little high for me. Really? Um, yeah. So, which is fine. I know that now. And so I'm able mm -hmm. to kind of get the, the formula. So and you cut it down a bit. Yeah, I just downed all the water just a touch. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I know for a shaken cocktail, like most most shaken cocktails are sour, and I typically use the ratio of two one one, so like two parts booze, one part lemon juice, one part simple syrup, whatever. And you're generally going to get about two ounces of water on top of that. Generally, yeah, um, you can you can dial it down a bit, like like you said, if you feel like that's a little watery. It probably depends on the temperature you're serving at, also, you know. Because if it, the warmer it is, the more it's going to melt the ice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in Nashville, our weddings are always like 95 degrees. So <laughs> Sure. Sure. So you might want it a little less diluted since it's going to melt faster. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah. but it's all part of the process. And, and, and I, I bring that up only to say that um, we can give people as many of the tools and resources and information as, as possible. But when it comes down to it, 
they need to be comfortable enough with their system and their processes to adjust so that it, it's right for them. All of yeah. these are guidelines and things that work for us, but um, there are things like science that um, change the way it might work for other people. Yeah, takes a while, takes a lot of practice. But it's fun and you get to drink in the process, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Well, gosh, Matt, that is uh, so much amazing information. Is there anything that you want to share um, that I didn't perhaps get the chance to ask you before we leave? I can't think of anything. I mean, if there were enough questions, we could always do another episode later or something. Yeah, I, certainly there were things that we didn't hit on some of the more in-depth things. I wanted to keep this particular episode a little high level for sure. People getting into it. Um, we did go down the rabbit hole on a few things, um, but for <laughs> Those that are ready for it, that'll mean something. I always do, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out and sharing all of this with us. It was a pleasure to talk shop with you as always. Yeah, thanks for having us. Or having me. I'm so used to saying that to customers. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Once again, folks, that was Matt Maroon with the Happy Camper Bar Car out of Akron, Ohio. Matt is always a wealth of information when he is not running his own mobile bar or consulting for bars around the world regarding kegged cocktails, he's a founding mentor on the Mobile Bev Pros membership site. And friends, if you're looking for a little more kegging support, the Mobile Bev Pros membership site might have it. We have a number of kegging videos as well as an equipment checklist in our resource section that can help you get started. Matt has also created a guide to batching and a step-by-step do-it-yourself guide to building your own keezer, which is a must for those who are serious about getting their keg on. All of these resources are accessible in the resource section of the Mobile Bev Pros membership site, and we're adding new goodies all the time. We hope you enjoyed our episode and that you'll join us again here next week for our next episode of the Mobile Bev Pros podcast.